Hello and welcome to the So What podcast, in which political economic analyst J.P. Lantman discusses the issues uppermost in the minds of South Africans. You can find a written version of this content on J.P.'s website, jplantman.co.za. I am Ruda Lantman and I am your host. These first few recordings were done at our dining room table, but we will soon be moving into a studio. Hello, and as always, a very warm welcome to another recording which goes with JP's latest newsletter. This one is dated the 20th of January 2023, and it's about, what else could it be about at this moment, about electricity. JP, you start with a quote from Antonio Gramsci, and you the quote reads, The crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. Who was Antonio Gramsci and why is this relevant? Gramsci was imprisoned by the fascists in Italy in the 1930s, and he actually wrote these words from uh, from prison. He kept a journal uh, of his writings while in prison, and, and this quote comes from there. Why is it relevant for South Africa today? Because I think it expresses absolutely precisely where we are with electricity. The old system of electricity provision in South Africa is busy dying, uh, ESCOM, as we used to know it, is busy dying. The way that we provided electricity to ourselves and the nation is busy dying. And the new system is being born, a system that will be much different from and encapsulate much more than ESCOM. But the new system is not quite in place yet. The old system is also no longer working. And we caught in that in-between, that interregnum between the old electricity system and the new system. And flowing from that, Ruda, I just want to make this one point very, very clearly. I don't think ESCOM can be saved in its current format. If we look back in five years' time, ESCOM, as we exist today, will no longer exist. It will exist in a much diminished and different form. So ESCOM cannot be saved, in my view. But electricity provision will be saved. And that is what this piece is about. And then you make a point which <laughs> I think is, one wants to say it's obvious, but I think we need to understand that. We have load shedding because South Africa does not generate enough power. What is the gap and how will it be closed? The capacity gap is between 4,000 megawatts and 6,000 megawatts. There's no 100% consensus about the correct number. Uh, ESCOM, as recently as November, said the capacity gap was 4,000 megawatts. What I do in this piece is I assume that the capacity gap is 6,000 megawatts. And then I look at how one can whittle that 6,000 megawatts down. And that is simply the gap between supply and demand? Yes, that is simply the gap between what ESCOM can produce when everything goes right and when everything runs well and what is demanded by the economy and by people and by households and so on. That's the capacity gap. Now, it's important to note that whether you use 4,000 megawatts as your number or 6,000 megawatts as your number, what we're talking about are baseload megawatts. Now, what is baseload? Baseload simply means the power is available for 24 hours of the day. It's not just available when the sun shines or when the wind blows. It is there all the time. 
Now, if you want to compare apples with apples, 6,000 megawatts of base load will require about 18,000 megawatts of renewable capacity supported by storage and gas. That, that's the way to compare apples with apples. The baseload people try to argue that you can get baseload only from coal or from coal and nuclear. And that is actually not true. Technology is developed in a different way. And you can now, there's a wind farm in Postmasburg in the Northern Cape, not a wind farm, a solar farm that is now for 12 months provided electricity 24 hours per day from the sun using a salt technology. So For storage? <clears throat> for storage. So you, with renewables, you need storage, uh, whatever technology, and you can use gas to make up for the times when the renewables are not working. So 6,000 megawatts of a capacity gap is 6,000 megawatts of base load, and that translates into about 18,000 megawatts of renewable capacity that is needed. Okay, but we've been seeing renewable contracts being given. We all see wind farms everywhere. We see solar farms if you drive through the Northern Cape. Where are we in making up that gap? Right. So uh, we've got about roughly 7,000 megawatts of renewables installed in the country that is already being used by ESCOM. And to plug this capacity gap of 18,000 megawatts renewables, you have to install 18,000 new uh, megawatts on top of what we probably have. So uh, the numbers look as follows. 9,000 megawatts of capacity is being built at the moment by private companies putting up power facilities for their own use and for the customers that they, that they share it with, that they sell it to. That is private sector driven. It's about 100 projects countrywide, consists of wind and solar and batteries in many cases, and the number is 9,000. Then we have about 3,000 megawatts that have been procured through the official procurement processes run by the government, run by the Department of Mineral Energy. Um, if I say government, it's also it includes procurement processes being run by local governments, but that's minuscule. You, you can, for all practical purposes, uh, ignore that. There's a lot of talking and noise about what municipalities are doing, but so far, it's a very, very small number. So, 9,000 private, 3,000 public. That gives you 12,000 megawatts of new capacity that's in one shape or form in, in the process of being created at the moment. And you think by the end of 2024, most of that will be yes. online? Yes, absolutely. There certainly the private processes, no question about that. I see uh, there is a statement from the presidency suggesting that a lot of it will come online during 2023. That may be. I'm working on 2024 as the as the outside date. So we've got uh, 12,000, and then there's uh, another 2,000 that is being made available through ESCOM, repurposing the land on which its current coal-fired power stations are, are standing. Um, and what they've done is they've already leased out 6,000 hectares to private entrepreneurs to come and build renewable facilities on ESCOM land. There's no power purchase agreement with ESCOM. They can sell it to whoever they want to, and they um, uh, they have to pay ESCOM rent. But the the upside of those sites is that they are already linked to the grid. Correct. Transmission is no problem because the coal-fired power stations transmit the power. 
So that's another 2,000. So you've got 9,000 private, 3,000 through official procurement, the so-called bid windows. You've got 2,000 from ESCOM that gives you 14,000. And then there is another 1,000 megawatts that will take the total to 15,000 of power that will be bought from existing independent power producers who have extra capacity. So you have a capacity for, say, 110 megawatts, but you're only selling 100 megawatts to ESCOM. So there's an extra 10 megawatts lying around. The idea is to buy 1,000 megawatts from existing independent power producers as well as the South African power pool. So we import power from the other countries in, in sub-Saharan Africa to, to which also belong to the power pool. Now the presidency or the National Energy Committee on Electricity is of the opinion that 2,000 megawatts can be procured in this manner. I've cut that number in half and only using the number of 1,000. And that brings us then to a total of 15,000 megawatts that are currently in the process of being procured and which I think will be connected to the grid uh, by the end of 2024 at the latest. And this full number, uh, Ruda, of 15,000 are projects connected to the grid or who have grid capacity available to them. There's a problem with the grid, as we can discuss later, but this 15,000 is covered by the grid. Okay, so we're left with um, 3,000 renewables or a bit less if it's um, baseload. Yes. And uh, you... And where will that come from? You risk putting Madupi and Kusili into the picture. <laughs> yes, Madupi, not Kusili. Um, we shouldn't treat the two of them the same. Madupi and Kusili, both of them have six units each. At Madupi, three of those units are in full operation. And two of them have been running at the EAF, an energy availability factor, of higher than 85%. In fact, one of them has run for 12 months at 92%. So the three units at Madupi are doing quite well. Um, the place is being run by an old ESCOM veteran, Mr. Zavili Witboy. He's been there for 20, more than 20 years, and, and they're doing well. Two of the units at Madupi are not at full capacity yet because they must be modified to deal with carbon emissions. Madupi or ESCOM applied for an emission exemption from, or an exemption from minimum emission standards. They didn't get the exemption, so they have to fix the plant to reduce emissions. And that's why two of the, of the, of the six units are not in full, full production yet. And then the sixth unit, as you know, was damaged in 2021 in an explosion. Two employees were dismissed because of that explosion, no longer works for ESCOM. And that unit should be in operation, giving us about 800 megawatts uh, by September 2024. So, as you put it at the beginning of, of your question, we've got 1,000 megawatts of baseload that we need. We can get 800 megawatts of that from Madupi, bringing an extra unit online. Plus, the other two units that are currently being fixed for emission standards will probably give us another 200. But again, let's leave that out of the equation. Kusili actually is, is, is not doing that well at all. Of the six units, uh, four were in operation by June last year, June 2022. And then there was an explosion that took one of them out of action. Don't know what the cause of the explosion is. Then a month later in October, an accident took place, which uh, took out uh, two more units. So um, one unit is running. I think it is safe based on discussions I've had with people 
uh, on the inside to say that Kosili will not make a contribution to uh, power supply in the country in 2023 and probably also not for the biggest part of 2024. So I, I, I ignore Kosili and I assume that there are no megawatts coming from there, only from uh, only from Adubi. And then the role of all the homeowners, like ourselves, uh, many people are putting solar panels on the roof, and in many cases, by lunchtime, the batteries are full. Yes. Uh, now, of course, not all panel owners have got batteries. One must uh, allow for that too. Some people just use panels, and that's all. But uh, it is a big potential source. Uh, industry players reckon that there is 3,600 megawatts of renewable panels on homes and offices all over the country, and it's growing at the rate of 1,000 megawatts per year. Now, if you take that 3,600 and you apply the formula, it will give you a base load of over a thousand megawatts. That's more than what uh, Kosili is producing. It's, it's quite a substantial amount of power. And and what happens, as you correctly point out, is people satisfy their power needs at least partially from these solar panels. But then there's always a bit of a surplus. So you run your dishwasher, or you use your hair dryer, or you make coffee, and the panels provide you with power. And then after you've made your coffee or after the dishwasher has run, well, the panels are still working. The sun is still shining in most parts of South Africa, and that power uh, goes to waste. So what would be a logical thing to do, and Vietnam has done this, Germany has done this, many countries have done it, is you use that power by allowing people to feed the power back into the local municipal grid, or if they're connected to ESCOM, to feed it back into the ESCOM grid. That is the basic idea. Why do we not do it? For for two reasons. The one is, what is the price at which you feed it in? It's the so-called feed-in tariff, uh, and that must be a uh, tariff must be must be finalised. ISCOM has developed a tariff. They call it a residential tariff. That's for homeowners. They call it Home Flex, but NASA has to approve of that. My understanding is that NASA did approve it last week when they announced their uh, infamous uh, tariff increases. For the next two years, so that rule that that's an important hurdle to clear, and then of course you you have to the meter in your house will have to change, uh, and the connection of the grid will have to change. Remember, our grid uh, has been built as a one way as a one way street, one way traffic, power coming into the house. If you now change it to bring power into the house, but at the same time also send power out, sometimes sometimes you change from one way traffic to two way traffic. And that requires technical changes. So although the concept is easy to understand and although the concept is quite clear, you need an appropriate price and you need technical changes. Then you can you can move uh, along this uh, road. I'm very delighted to see that the presidency and their statement have made it quite clear that this is a, is a, is a major area of work now for government. They want to finalize the feed-in tariff and, and, and get the show on the road. And that will add another few hundred megawatts uh, of baseload to the to the national supply. But what about the municipalities? Not everyone buys directly from ESCOM. Absolutely right. And municipalities are very keen to hold on to this source of income. So uh, they also are not prepared to, to let go. In fact, SALGA, the Association of Local Governments, uh, have brought a court case against the government for the court to declare that only municipalities are allowed to distribute power in a certain municipal area. 
Now, we must see where the court case goes. One can understand where they come from. And again, you know, the old system is dying. The new one is being born. But precisely what must be the rules of the new one? And you don't divide, <laughs> you don't design these things by way of artificial intelligence and then it's there. It's a process of moving through the obstacles. And I think what municipalities and, want and what they can get is part of that process. And deeply political. And it's very deeply political. The, you know, we are all on the page of let's use renewables, let's change the, the energy system, let's become part of the, of, the, of the global move to a green economy and so on and so forth. A lot of people in South Africa don't accept that and they are fearful of the changes. They are fearful that the poor will be left behind and so on. All those problems can be overcome. It, 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 it is possible to overcome them all. Countries have done it and we will, we will also do it. But it's a process of working through the issues. I think that's important. Any short-term possibilities? Look, there are only two short-term possibilities that I can see. Um, the one is that you use diesel, which is very, very expensive. And it's not a sustainable option. But, uh, but if Treasury can find the money, ESCOM doesn't have the money. Let's be clear about that. ESCOM doesn't have the money. And it looks as if NERSA has not allowed ESCOM to increase tariffs to allow for diesel purchases. That is what the NASA decision looks like. So if you want diesel, you want to buy diesel more than what is allowed for in the ESCOM budget, you will have to get the money from somewhere else. But that, that diesel is, is, is one option if Treasury gives you the money. The other option is that we go back to the car power ship option. I call it the, the dreaded car powership option in, in, the, in the written piece. Why dreaded? Because it involves 20-year contracts. Uh, it involves very little permanent infrastructure, and it brings with it undesirable environmental impacts. So uh, you can argue that none of these things, 20-year contracts and so on, none is as important as reducing load shedding. And that's a, that's a choice the society must make. So you can, you can do those two things, gas uh, at a huge price or diesel at a huge price. I think the better way to approach this is simply to say publicly and openly, we will have load shedding for another two years. There is no ways around that. There's no quick fix. There's no quick solution. This idea that you can do things and uh, next week load shedding will be over is really, really nonsense. Uh, even if you use gas and even if you buy diesel, It'll be, it will still take time and it will be prohibitively expensive. So, no, I don't think there are short-term solutions. <laughs> but you, as you say, there are people who, who argue that ESCOM's power stations must just pull themselves together. Yes, absolutely. And, and then it will be over by tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. And particularly the politicians uh, are doing that. They say ESCOM doesn't have a money problem. It has a management problem, quote unquote. I think that's uh, total nonsense. Other people say there's no capacity shortage. They reject the capacity gap argument. What they're saying is that ESCOM has got about 44, 45,000 megawatts of installed capacity and is only delivering about 23, 24,000. Uh, so clearly there's a lot of capacity there not being used. I think the problem with that argument is that it ignores the EAF, the energy availability factor. The ESCOM plant is old. The average age, uh, if you exclude Madubi and Kosili, is more than 40 years. Now, if you will know from your the fridge in your kitchen or the lawnmower in your garden, you use a 40-year-old piece of equipment 
it doesn't give you the same performance as a new fridge or a new lawnmower. Just as simple as that. Added is the fact that uh, a lot of the ISCOM plant has not been maintained for a long time. We know that. How do we know it? Because uh, an industry association, VGB, based in Germany, to which ESCOM also belongs, track and they monitor the energy availability factor, the EAF, of power stations worldwide. And the reality is that ESCOM was absolutely on par in its energy availability factor, its efficiencies, with, uh, with the world average, the global average, until about 2011. Since 2011, now that is now 11, 12 years ago, since 2011, ESCOM's energy availability factor has simply fallen away from the global average. So there's, there's, there's clear empirical evidence that there's a, a strong problem with the efficiency of the ESCOM installed capacity. So to talk about we've got 44,000, we must just use it properly, is, is really, it is simply wrong. It is simply wrong. And the figures that you quote, the um, global average is 75% or more EAF. Yes. yes. ESCOM is 53. That's a very important point. The ESCOM fleet is running at below 54%, 53.9 to be precise. Uh, this year, last year, they ran uh, also in, in, uh, at those levels. There's an energy analyst, Mr. Clyde Mellinson, who's done extensive work on the energy availability factor of the of the ESCOM fleet, and it's been coming down for a long time, and he is predicting that this will, it will go down to below 50. So never mind the 53.9 that we're doing currently, uh, it may drop even lower. And that has been the trend. So yeah, absolutely, we are way beyond below what ESCOM used to be. You know, we mustn't forget, at the beginning of the 2000s, ESCOM was voted the best utility in the world. It was really a superbly run and producing organization. But that is 11, 12 years ago. No, that's 20 years ago. That's 20 years ago. I'm sorry, it's 20 years ago. And things change. Things change. And And machines uh, get older and older and older. And machines get older and they get older quicker if you don't look after them. And that is precisely what happened here. So no, I'm afraid the efficiency argument doesn't hold up. But then the next problematic area is the grid transmission. Yes, what what came out uh, clearly in December is something which uh, people have been warning us about, and that is that there isn't enough transmission capacity, transmission lines to carry the power up and down. Now, again, our grid, our national grid was developed to move power uh, or electricity in one direction, one-way traffic, uh, from the power stations in the eastern side of the country, Mpumalanga, to the rest of the country. What is happening now with renewables and power plants going up all over the show is you, you need a grid that can do electricity in, in two directions. Secondly, you need a grid that can cope with the intermittency of wind and sun. The sun is shining, there's power, cloud moves in before the sun, there's no power. Uh, that's a bit taxing on a grid. And you've got to adapt the grid for that. And a lot of the new of the renewable power stations are in completely different places now. Yes. Northern Cape, Eastern Cape. Yes. There's no, there are very few transmission lines. Well, they're not enough transmission yeah. lines, put it that way. And this became very clear in December when the government announced the results of Bitwindow bit window 6. The Bitwindow was 4,200 megawatts big. There were 56 bits that came in. 
So people are interested. People are definitely interested. What what the bits tell us is that people want to invest. For all the stories about people not wanting to invest in South Africa, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> people with real money and real checkbooks have actually written the checks to participate in the bid, and they've submitted bids, very competitive bids. But only of that 4,200, only about 850 or 860 in the end could be allocated because only those bits had access to the transmission grid. So you had you 56 mm. uh, bidders, only six bidders had access, so you lost 50 bidders, so to speak. You wanted to get 4,200 from the bid round, but you only got about 850. There may be another 150 coming, calling it, call it 1,000, but the, the, the gap is quite big. So the round was a, was a big disappointment, and I think what the round tells us is that the upgrade of the transmission grid is, is now really important. This sounds as if it could be expensive. It will be expensive. The ESCOM transmission division, which is uh, due to be set up as a separate company, but reporting as part of ESCOM, they published a transmission development plan every year. And the last one was published in October last year for the next 10 years. And essentially what they are saying is that they, at the cost of about 72 billion rand, they can add 16,500 megawatts of transmission capacity. And they've got a number of projects, uh, 23 in one case and 13 in another case. So it's more than 30 projects all over the country, uh, which if they implement the projects, they can upgrade by the 16,500 megawatts I refer to. That will cost 72 billion rand. So where will the money come from? At this stage, the, the idea is that the money must come from the green climate funds that South Africa got in the deal that it signed at COP27. Now, I wrote about that in December last year. If you look at the detail of that plan, 131 billion rand is set aside in the plan to upgrade the South African transmission grid. And the president, in fact, has already said it in some press conference that uh, the first cash from that from that COP agreement or climate climate funds agreement will go towards uh, upgrading the grid. So I don't think that is uh, it is a constraint now. It is a problem now. I don't think it's a permanent constraint. You can throw money at the problem, create the extra capacity, and connect all the all the new producers. And the money is available via the climate uh, green funds. Do you think government is on top of this? Yes, they're on top of the issues, but they're, but they're behind in time. What I mean by that is the, the Ramaphosa government has made a number of important changes in electricity policy over the last four years. But the reality on the ground has developed faster and quicker than what the government has reacted. So, yes, they are on top of it in terms of understanding the issues and what needs to be done. There is also division in government. We know that Gwedi Mantashi wants to pull in one direction. But it hasn't stopped policy development uh, so far. Um, but load shedding is happening faster and quicker than what government policy is evolving. Uh, and I think that's the, that is the basic uh, constraint. Government is not getting ahead of the problem. They are just always a few steps behind. And that's, uh, that, that, I suppose that's in the nature of governments, but it is a problem for electricity provision. So what should happen this week? to start getting us out of what you call the mess in one po at one well, point? Well, first of all, the 9,000 megawatts of private power must be allowed and helped to, to become real. 
done the put obstacles there, done prevent their progress. A ditto for the 3,000 megawatts of publicly procured power through the bid windows. Those bits have now been allocated. Everybody knows who is what the prices are, who is in, who is out. Allow those projects to go ahead. So basically dealing with the with the administrative issues around procuring power. That, that's number one. Number two, I think a feed-in tariff uh, from home and this must be must be put down, and municipalities must be must be guided to change their uh, to change their approach and accept what what needs to be done to to make that happen. I think that is number two. Uh, if we're going to stop uh, any adding any of the capacity that I've referred to, any of that 18,000 megawatts capacity, then load shedding will persist beyond two years. If we can get the, the, uh, the 18,000 megawatts of capacity, we can deal with load shedding. And then lastly, of course, we must get a clear uh, effort to finance the upgrading of the transmission grid. That money from uh, the green climate change uh, funds, green money, must be, used to, uh, must be used to upgrade the transmission. So it's quite clear what needs to be done. But just sit down and do it and make it happen. That is really where we are. From your lips to, I won't say God's ears, uh, from your lips to the relevant people in government's ears. <laughs> thank you very much, and thank you for all the work that went into this. No, thank you. Go well. Thank you for listening to the So What podcast. If you enjoy this content, please don't forget to leave a review and a rating, and please consider subscribing so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, tell your friends. Remember, you can find a written version of all JP's content at jplandman.co.za.